Brought to you by Leave the Ring Network. All boxing, no filter. Oh! That's another knockdown. He's not getting up, Jim. He get up. He's not getting up, Jim. He's not getting up. No, he's been knocked out. It's over. Mamma mia, he's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. AJ does it in style. Beaten down, hopeless, without an answer, and Lomachenko has made Rigondeaux quit. It's Fistionados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, fight fans. It is Wednesday, June 5th, and this is the Fistionados podcast on the Leave It in the Ring radio network. I'm your host, Evan Rakowski, former HBO sports marketing executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email me at fistinados at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistinadospod. We are brought to you by Ring Magazine and ringtv.com. Not an emergency pod this week, but this certainly would have qualified for one if it wasn't regularly scheduled because of what the crazy stuff that happened with Andy Ruiz pulling off, I think the most significant upset since Buster Douglas with Mike Tyson. There's a lot of other stuff going on, but we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about all the ramifications for it. Uh, one quick thing to plug here at the top. I was quoted in a New York Times article, and I know most of the people who listen to the show do not turn to the New York Times for their boxing coverage, uh, but uh, it is amazing. My high school English teacher knew about it and plenty of other people did too and it made my dad's day so uh read it it was fun hopefully if you read it they will cover boxing more i don't know who knows but it was a fun thing to to talk to the author uh john elgin's a really smart guy and he did used to cover the boxing beat so he he had a pretty good take on everything that was happening um let's go into the review review section And remember, we're starting two weeks ago, so we're going to build up to the big thing that just happened. On Saturday, May 25th, we had a ton of boxing on. Let's start with the ESPN card, where Jamel Herring won with the unanimous decision over Masayuki Ito, and then Jose Sniper Pedraza wins by KO9 over Antonio Lozada. The show averages 556,000 viewers on ESPN. It is the 45th rated cable show of the night. Let's be honest here, not the greatest number uh, for this fight card. The extenuating circumstances were that it followed women's college softball, which actually did a pretty good rating. I think it got almost 900,000 viewers, but they're definitely not the two types of programming that cross over much, um, even though it's live sports. And it got beat by lots of other programming on ESPN, including a couple of different uh, episodes of SportsCenter. Um, but again, other extenuating circumstances. Memorial Day weekend. Not the best for TV overall, certainly not the best for boxing. We saw that with the PBC rating, and we'll get to that in a moment. And historically, I can tell you, every time we did the show like this at HBO, it did not get a great rating, either on Memorial Day or Labor Day uh, weekend. Those were always, in fact, I think Gennady Golovkin's first fight on HBO was actually a Labor Day show, and it got a ter- I think it was the worst rating of 2012. So, anyways, getting back to this fight, uh, look, the main event was a good fight. I think Jamel Herring can be someone who can end up with some solid TV ratings. Like, he can be a a solid TV draw. His storyline is incredible. I did think Ito would win. Uh, I think Ito still has great potential as a fighter. He's clearly got some work 
to do back in the gym. Can the winner here fight Miguel Burchelt? That's really a great question. Uh, you know, I, I don't know the answer. I think Herring winning maybe, but it's almost like with, if Ito had won, I think you'd probably make the Burchelt-Ito fight. With Herring winning, I think maybe you want to give him you know, another fight before he fought, uh, before he gets uh, Burchelt, just because you can tell a story. Like I said, he, he can sort of become like a like a, a, a better TV version of Ray Beltran in terms of being a TV draw where you can get his story out there, probably milk a few decent TV ratings out of him. But, you know, he's like he's not going to be a big pay-per-view star or anything like that. But, he, he you know, he's, he's a really fun story to tell, and I think there's a lot to go there, uh, to, you know, to go down that road. Um, and, and with Burchell, look, if, if you can get him in with Burchell, great. I think that's a good fight. I also think Burchell could be a potential Lomachenko opponent. And that's nothing original, but any potential Lomachenko opponent at this time has got to be, you got to sort of handle that with kid gloves because you know, it's very clear his next fight is going to be against Luke Campbell in the UK. And so after that, you probably want to get him back on regular ESPN and give him a chance to get a great rating on regular ESPN in the fall. Uh, Pedraza, he has a future. Uh, you know, he showed a good comeback fight. He can be a high-level opponent. There's definitely paydays out for him uh, at 140 pounds. Okay, let's move on. Also on Saturday, May 25th, on the PBC on FS1, we have Austin Trout and Terrell Gachet fighting to a draw. Chordell uh, Booker beats Wally Omatoso by unanimous decision. Ahmed Albiali beats Marlos Samoys. I don't know. I can't pronounce that. By KO2, the show does an average of 208,000 viewers. It is the 147th cable ranked, uh, ranked cable show of the day. And it actually, in a weird quirk, the prelims ended up actually, even though they did less viewers, 167,000, they ended up being the 140th ranked cable show of the day. Uh, and that's just because less people were watching, less overall people were watching TV at the time that the prelims were airing. Let's focus on the main event here because the TV ratings uh, are, are less than stellar. They're not great, you know, for either show. But, the, you know, obviously Top Rank does, you know, more overall viewers. Uh, but, you know, this, I mean, this is kind of on the low end of, of what you want to see FS1 doing. And, and, and more on that later. They, they actually did better this past weekend. So, um Main event here, I thought Cachet won the fight. I did think it was tough to score. Marcos Villegas, who I think does a really good job scoring fights for Fox. Like, he had it, and this is off memory, 98-92, I think. Uh, but it ended up being a draw. And I, I thought it could, you know, there were a couple close rounds that could have gone either way, but I thought Cachet won. Uh, I don't mind a draw. I mean, neither of these guys really distinguish themselves in a fight. It's, it's weird to say that when you're in the same breath saying, a guy you respect scored it 98-92. But, um, you know, neither guy really distinguished himself. And I think when you think about the not just this fight, but sort of the bigger overall picture here, uh, then you really want, you want, PBC wanted the winner of this fight to emerge as someone they could throw in, like, back into the top levels of 154 pounds, which is a great division for them. And that just didn't happen here. So... Let's move on. And maybe these guys rematch. I don't know. You know, it's not great TV. I don't really care to see it. But uh, let's move on. 
Okay, so the final fight on May 25th was on zone. No ratings for it. Devin Haney won by a pretty exciting KO7. And Philip Ergovich won by KO1. Michael Hunter won by KO2. I don't really have a whole lot to say about this at all, other than Devin Haney did look like a stud. And he's getting to the point where each fight is an important development, you know, career development step. And it's kind of fun to watch. You know, the other guys, whatever. Um, I don't need to see too much more of those type of, you know, mismatches in terms of developing those guys. Let's move on to June 1st. Let's start with the FS1 show. Saturday, June 1st, we had Ivan Redcatch winning by KO6 over Devin Alexander. William Monroe Jr. winning a unanimous decision over Hugo Centeno Jr. The card averages 262,000 viewers and was the 117th rated cable show of the day. A lot of extenuating circumstances here for this fight. Um, <laughs> the most important probably being that the Major League Baseball game preceding it went to extra innings and... If you DVR'd the fight like I did, you had to you lost like 90 minutes or something like that. Um, and the other thing you got to say here, th- that MLB game actually averaged 434,000 viewers. So, I, and I I don't know how many were actually tuning it at the end. I would imagine less than 434,000. But we've now seen it a couple times where boxing on FS1 has seen some bigger delays uh, due to baseball, and I think. You know, I don't have a huge, you know, I don't want to sit here and criticize this rate. It's actually not, it's really not terrible for them. I think like the bigger distressing sign if you're an FS1 exec is how do you cross over that audience better? Because you shouldn't with, with, it's one thing with softball or with a, a, you know, bowling or something like that to, you know, NASCAR on on FS1 uh, to go from a sport like that to boxing. But when you go from baseball to boxing, you should really be maintaining a large percentage of your audience. This one, I, I will say, it's just a weird enough situation that I wouldn't, I'm not going to read too much into it, but I think you do have to start keeping track of this, and baseball audiences should cross over, uh, especially, you know, there's a number of, you know, back, in, I'd say like 15 years ago, Baseball was actually probably the number one sport with a correlation to boxing in terms of fan base. So, and, and it's definitely not that way now, but it still should have, you know, you should be doing better than this with those two sports. Uh, not, you know, overall though, we're not talking, this is not PBC's top level product. There's not too, too much point in spending too much time on this. Um, you know, obviously expect, you know, Red Catch to come back with a, with a bigger fight, hopefully. But, you know, we'll see where this is. Hopefully it's the end of the line for Devin Alexander. Um, all right. Finally, the big one. Saturday, June 1st. We had the most significant upset in boxing probably in the last 30 years. Andy Ruiz Jr. beating Anthony Joshua by KO7. Also on the card, Callum Smith beats Hassan Endon by KO3. Katie Taylor wins a controversial decision against Delphine Pursun. And then down the card, Chris Algieri wins by KO8. Joshua Blatzi wins by KO4. Ray Robinson, Josh Kelly fight to a draw. The deep dive this week is obviously going to be about the main event. So let's talk about some of the other fights on the card here for a second. Callum Smith looked great in a fight where, quite frankly, he should have looked great. So let's see him in with better competition and bigger fights. I mean, based on 
frame size skills, sharpness of punches we're seeing from him and, and based on his performance in the WBSS and the eye test, like all this stuff, he looks like the best 168 pounder out there. Let's actually see the manifestation of that because that's not a division where unless Canelo moves up and fights there on a one-off basis continually, or unless Golovkin moves up or, you know, or Danny Jacobs moves up, unless one of those things happens, you can make all these fights at 168 and you can do it for relatively, you know, cost controlled options. So moving on from that, I wasn't paying close enough attention to the Katie Taylor win over Delphine Pursuit to call it a robbery. I will say, and I was watching it, I just wasn't scoring it closely. And that's clearly what you had to be doing to really have a strong opinion there. I will say it was a fun fight to watch, and it was definitely a close fight. I could tell that. I would love to see a rematch. And I'm happy we're finally seeing some competitive women's fights at the top level because I think it was starting to look like there was just one great or really good fighter at each weight class, which is less interesting. I like seeing competitive fights there. But, you know, okay, I'm intrigued. I would love to know more. Obviously, there were bigger fish to fry on this on this card, so to speak. And and this was a great card overall. The, the Algeria fight was fun to watch. The Boatsy fight was fun. You know, all these fights, top to bottom, ended up being pretty fun. For a card that I, th- I thought it would be fun coming in, I did not – I don't think anyone predicted that it would be this competitive. And then – and let's finally – let's move into it. Let's move into the deep dive this week. What else is there to talk about besides – Andy Ruiz's upset victory, what it means for, uh, basically we're just going to go through and what it means for so many different parties involved. And I think that's really the key. It means a lot of different things for a lot of different parties. Like obviously the in-ring stuff has been covered real well. The comedy aspect of all of it, just the, the, the comparing bodies. I mean, my wife, my wife and I were watching the fight and she was like, Watching it, literally scared for Andy Ruiz, just based on the way that both guys' uh, both guys' bodies, you know, were. And and she's, you know, she's a casual boxing fan. Obviously, she's married to me, but like the, you know, we don't. She doesn't watch a whole lot of these things together, so she she didn't know. And and I was kind of explaining it to her, and it was it was, it was just sort of interesting to see it play out because. I was like, well, no, I, you know, everybody expects Joshua to win, but actually Ruiz has had, you know, fast hands, you know, all the sort of talking points that hardcore fans know about going in. I don't think anybody was saying, and there were a couple of people actually who, you know, I've seen it on social media who predicted this and props to them. Um, I certainly was not one of them. So, but let's, let's just, let's start, let's go through party by party and let's talk about it. So Andy Ruiz, let's start with him. And let's not overthink this part of it. Like, this is life-changing on a lot of levels. Most of them obvious and really, really good for Andy Ruiz. I mean, I think it was life-changing just to take the fight because he probably got paid about $5 bucks to take the fight. And he's had one or two good paydays before. But cert- probably if you add up all his paydays in his entire career, they probably all add up to less than what he got for this fight. And, you know, the market for his services was not necessarily that high right now. I think in his last two fights, he took one that was like 200 grand and one was like 30 or 40 grand or something like that. I mean, these are reported paydays to commissions, so who knows what he actually got. But like, you know, he he made a ton of money just by taking this fight. Like, let's not forget that. And it wasn't like, like he made multiples 
of what he was getting just to take this fight. So, you know, he wins. He's obviously going to get a much bigger check in the rematch. And if you look down the line, even if he loses a bunch of fights in a row, like he's still going to get really well paid for several fights after this, no matter what the scenario is. Obviously for endorsements, like I really hope Snickers pays him and it sounds like they are going to do that. I mean, obviously he's made the rounds in terms of PR and Kimmel and all that other stuff. And I think that's a credit to him. Like most the the criticism of a lot of fighters over the past couple of years, and I don't think this is unique to any one promotion, is that after their they'll do the promotion leading up to the fight, but after the fight is over, they just kind of disappear. And he's been out there, like, and and I look at that as a really positive thing. I think he's he's making a name for himself. He's been out there. He's clearly like he's going to go into a rematch. He's going to get paid a ton of money for it, and he doesn't need to start training camp right away for that. So I think this is great uh, for him. And and look, given that he's with the PBC, it almost certainly means that at the first chance possible, he'll get a pay-per-view shot at Deontay Wilder. And that fight should do really well whenever that fight can happen. You know, even in the worst case scenario for Andy Ruiz, he's put his name in the record books and gained a huge following and as long as, he's, as he just literally shows up in the ring for a few fights, he's going to retire a rich man. And the other great thing for Andy Ruiz here is that in the span of about 30 minutes, he opened up something that previously has never existed. Andy Ruiz is of Mexican descent and is essentially Mexican-American or American-Mexican, however you want to phrase that in terms of what he is culturally. I mean, the dude was obviously raised in the U.S. but has fought for Mexico in the amateurs um, and based on citizen laws, citizenship laws, he can say he's both or he could, you know, and I'm not going to get into the politics of it. He can be whatever he wants to be. I mean, he clearly can be both, but you know, the most likely scenario here is that culturally he can say whichever one he is and, and he can define himself in this. But at the end of the day, he is the first heavyweight champion of the world of Mexican descent. And as a marketer, like that is the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that has never previously existed. And I mean, like, you know, it's weird. Like I actually, I've been asked before, like, Hey, if you're building a fighter in a lab, like what it takes to be a marketing powerhouse, you know, usually the question you get for this is like, Hey, do you want the guy to be white or something like that? And it's like, no man, like you want him to be Hispanic. Like in this in this day and age, if you're building a fighter to be a commercial success, you want him to be of Mexican descent or Mexican American descent and have crossover appeal. You want him to, obviously you want him to be able to speak English. Um and like look, like ladies and gentlemen, I present you Andy Ruiz. I mean, he has crossover appeal. He is the heavyweight champion of the world. He does not look like he should be the heavyweight champion of the world and he has a great attitude about it. Like he accepts it for what it is. He doesn't you know, the, like he embraces it and you can see a lot of people having a lot of like really like great fun with him. I mean, it, like he has the chance to like really cross over into pop culture. Um, I will caveat this whole thing by saying I think someone said there was a female heavyweight champ from Mexico. But I mean, look, just given the lack of commercial appeal for female heavyweights, I will acknowledge that. Um, but move on because he's, you know, however you want to couch it like this. He is the first one that matters. And for Andy, like whether he cashes really big checks from DAZN 
or whether he ends up fighting on pay-per-view and activating that, you know, that Mexican-American audience in the United States or activating the Mexican audience and making a ton of money selling his content in Mexico, which he can now also do. Like Andy has broken a major barrier here. No matter what previous pay-per-view estimates there were for heavyweight fighters, if Andy can stay relevant and he's going to be relevant no matter what for his next few fights, like, I mean, the heavyweight division just got a lot bigger for pay-per-view sales. More on that later. But in terms of what it means for Andy, it matters a lot no matter what career trajectory he ends up on. Like, there's no question that he will be a meaningful commercial fighter in almost every scenario moving forward probably for a long period of time. Like how long he keeps his titles or how many times he becomes a champ if he loses them. Like, yes, that will determine the extent of his long-term earning power and commercial viability, commercial viability to an extent, but that's stating the obvious. Like he's always going to be the first one. He will, he will carry that with him for the rest of his life. All right, let's move on to, actually, I was going to do AJ next. Let's get to AJ in a second because where it gets a little bit more interesting here is when you start to look at who the winners and losers are for the networks, which you know, I mean, that's probably why people are listening to me talking about this stuff. Um, I was very early out on this on Twitter saying that DAZN is a huge winner here, and they obviously are. Others have said it too by now. I think, I think most people start to actually realize this, that it's actually, it is great for them. Like, there, you know, there's almost no downside, but let's, you know, Let's talk about it for a second. I mean, it can't be emphasized enough. DAZN has put on the event of the year. They have the upset of the decade in boxing, probably the, what most people consider to be the upset of the century so far, um, or how, whatever, whatever that means. Certainly the upset of the 2000s. <clears throat> they went from casual boxing fans and general sports fans either barely knowing who they are or maybe have heard an ad with them or have read an article or something about them. But now everybody pretty much knows who they are like overnight. That's kind of worth its weight in gold. And maybe I know people, general public's first instinct isn't to be like, Oh, where was that? Where, where did you watch that? They're probably, it's more like they know who Andy Ruiz is, but you know, it's when you watch all it, Watching all these highlights and stuff, like it's on the zone. Like people will pick up on that eventually, and that again, that is worth its weight in gold. And then let's make clear to those saying that it wasn't a win for the zone because they've got so much riding on AJ for their future. Let's actually examine that a little bit further because I think there are parts of that that are true, but there are also parts of that that AJ in the U.S. was kind of a hedge for them in a lot of ways, and I think. That's sort of the key part. Like, I think AJ was a huge part of their global strategy. Like, there's no doubt about that. But if you look at their two big fighters, Canelo and AJ, Canelo losing would have actually been a much bigger blow to them than AJ, who, let's be honest, like, AJ was not a subscription driver in the United States yet because no one really knew who he was. That was always the challenge coming into this. I mean, that's quite frankly, a lot of the pe reason people thought he took this fight is it is a marketing ploy for him and his own in the United States. But now everyone knows who he is. And the other thing here is Dizone turned Andy Ruiz into a star. He is the first fighter they have turned into a star. They did not turn Canelo into a star. 
they didn't. But Canelo is a star, and he's turning people on to DAZN. This is the opposite. DAZN turned Andy Ruiz into a star. Now, they may not keep him because he's with the PBC for, you know, for a, unless, whatever. I mean, it might be one more fight or something like that. But they can now say they've done that. There's really no scenario where DAZN isn't the biggest winner in all of this just because of the brand recognition factor for them and what's at stake for them as a company. I mean, literally continuing televising anything, much less boxing, is at stake for them. That's what's at stake. So it's just so much bigger than one fighter. So they come out a huge winner here. And, and, And let's even dive a little deeper into why. I mean, first of all, everyone's talking about this fight in terms of mainstream public, general sports fans. Like I said, like the fight, it resonated with the general public for a lot of reasons. Some of that is based on the nature of who Andy Ruiz is as a person and as a fighter. And some of that is who... Anthony Joshua was supposed to be, at least to the United States public. And some of that is just the heavyweight division. And this all happened on DAZN. Like, you want to see the rematch? It's going to be on DAZN. Highlights are going to be on DAZN. And by the way, the highlights and the social media numbers are amazing. And they have taken on a life of their own. And part of this conversation, you know, like I sort of mentioned earlier, is like how did I watch this or how do you watch this or, and or what, where do I watch the rematch? It's on DAZN. Like they're the ones at least making the argument that they're putting on the best fights and, and you know, you have to do it on DAZN and, and that's to hardcore boxing fans, you know, obviously that's up for debate. Um, and <clears throat> you know, I think a lot of, a lot of places are putting on a lot of, a lot of great fights, but like in terms of what DAZN's argument is, this is a feather in their cap towards that argument, especially to the general public, especially for a subscription service that you have to actively subscribe to. Um, you know, and and getting back to the investment they had in Anthony Joshua, they invested a lot of dollars in, in him and, and, and they quote unquote needed him to win, right? And like, there's sort of a simple answer to this and then there's a more complicated answer to this. And, and the simple answer I've kind of already touched on and but some of this comes back to AJ himself. I mean, we've talked about this sort of what it means for Andy, but Andy's business arrangement is unique compared to AJ. I mean, yeah, Andy's with PVC, but that's a relatively new relationship. And he came up through top rank and he's fought on a lot of different networks. And AJ has is sort of the opposite of that. Like he's been with Eddie Hearn the whole time. And even though DAZN hasn't been around that long, he's been linked with DAZN in a major way, especially since DAZN has been in the United States. And AJ achieved massive success very early in the process and has already banked a ton of money. And what I'm getting at here is sort of that we don't know how AJ will respond to a defeat. We've already seen reports that he got KO'd at sparring and blah, 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 blah. And when you're a star of AJ's magnitude, like we're talking about a different category here. I mean, the problem with AJ, it's the, the problem he had going into the fight, like I mentioned earlier, is he had a low profile in the United States and like that profile affects and affected everyone in the heavyweight division and the fans. Like we all want to see we as hardcore fans, like we want to see these heavyweight fights and well, you know, either for that to happen, either Wilder previously had to take the zone money or AJ needs to be a big enough star to beat, you know, that money on pay-per-view. And, and we weren't remotely close to that. I mean, basically that's, that's most of what I've talked about on this podcast so far this year. 
And guess what? Now everyone knows who AJ is. Not in the way he wanted, but we were over the hump. And let me tell you, that's a really big hump, especially in boxing, to get over. And the truly great stars, like the truly transcendent ones, they bounce back and they don't let these type of results derail their commercial credentials or their career. Conor McGregor and Manny Pacquiao both did their biggest pay-per-view numbers, which are you know basically record-breaking and may never be topped in some instances, and those happened after they lost. I mean, Floyd's a, sort of a different conversation and almost his own deep dive just based on the way he marketed himself and how he took fights, but and, and Floyd obviously never lost. Oscar and Canelo, though, they were still massive commercial successes after losses. And historically, if you go back further, Ali, Foreman, Sugar Ray, like they all came back even bigger. If AJ loses the rematch and goes Ronda Rousey on us, then, yeah, I mean, it's a net loss for all of us. And we can only hope that Andy Ruiz becomes and maintains the commercial stardom that we, you know, you can only just hope that, hey, essentially we made a trade, Anthony Joshua, for Andy Ruiz. You know, but if AJ comes back and he beats Andy Ruiz, I actually don't think it hurts him that much at all. And I think in some ways it seriously expedites his biggest issue, which was commercial viability in the United States. The reality was always that these heavyweights were going to lose when they fought each other. And they'd have to fight each other for their biggest paydays. AJ was always the one most likely not to suffer in terms of commercial viability because of a loss, just because of how much he had already built up. What it does do, though, it likely makes the A.J. Wilder or A.J. Fury fight. And let's be honest, the A.J. Fury fight was closer to happening. And, or, sorry, A.J. Wilder fight was always closer to happening. Wilder is an American. So in terms of American commercial, you know, commerciality, that's the one that you're talking about. Like, it makes that fight, A.J. Wilder, it, it makes the first fight that they would have done maybe a little bit less on pay-per-view. But notice what I said there on pay-per-view. I mean, it makes a little bit it, it makes it a little bit less big as a moment because both guys aren't undefeated. But it have also taken a lot longer to make. And that's because we would have had to wait several fights for AJ to increase his profile in the United States and then be happy leaving DeZone and fighting Wilder on pay-per-view. I mean, these guys could still easily fight on DeZone like fairly soon. I mean, if PBC wanted to go in that direction. And in a lot of ways, going back to DeZone here, DeZone dodged a major bullet by Wilder not taking that deal because they would have had to pay through the nose for a fight in the fall, and AJ wouldn't have he wouldn't have had his titles. He'd be coming off of a loss. Or they would have had to pay all that money to Wilder and just sit here and have him wait and hope and just hope that basically that that AJ won the rematch. Now they get a fight that's just as big in the rematch of, of Andy Ruiz and, and AJ. And they probably get it at a cheaper rate than what they would have paid for the Wilder fight. I mean, if I'm Team AJ, I'm doing the rematch in the UK where it can't go to pay-per-view in the United States because it'll be on in the afternoon, so DAZN is almost certain to broadcast it. Going back to DAZN's overall investment in AJ, the reality is that it may not have been that huge. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure it's significant, but small probably compared to their investment in Canelo. It's probably way worse for them if Canelo loses than AJ. 
AJ could have comfortably fought on pay-per-view in the UK and probably received big checks from DAZN, but not nearly what they, you know, would have paid for him to consistently fight in the United States. Based on what HBO and Showtime were traditionally paying for for fights in UK pay-per-view, like that were sort of afternoon affairs in the United States, it never amounted to that much money in the grand scheme of things. AJ wasn't a subscription driver yet. Yet, being the keyword there. I think he would have gotten there, but he wasn't there yet. So for DAZN, if AJ loses again, like, yeah, it sucks. It's not great. But they will end up with enough brand awareness from broadcasting the upset of the decade and a significant rematch that will be a subscription driver, even if it does happen in the United States. It's probably a better outcome than throwing a ton of money at AJ to just gradually build his profile in the U.S. and then finding out that it doesn't, you know, it's not working out. I guess what I'm saying is, if AJ is a fraud, this is the best way to find out for DAZN. It really is. If he's great and he remains a commercial draw, then he'll bounce back. And you'll have to figure out how to get these other big fights on DAZN, which, which that's what you would have always had to do anyways. And the process has been jump-started now. And the fights are more likely to get made. And by the way, like I kind of mentioned earlier, DAZN could still offer Wilder the, you know, the same or, or, or similar money to come over and fight AJ on a short deal. Because if AJ wins the belts back, like that's a, that's another sub-driver. You know, back to AJ, like it's almost like the worst case scenario for DAZN would be if he ends up somewhere in between, like neither fish nor foul. Like, that's the worst case, because in that case, they'd be paying a lot of money to have him fight in the U.S., but he wouldn't actually become a subscription driver. So in some ways, you can make an argument, like, DAZN's really finding out what they have here, and based on what I've heard about AJ's deal, like, I don't think he was on a long-term huge money deal for DAZN, so they'll probably find out pretty quickly what they have. And I do want to get to the PBC, but before I do, I've, I've mostly just talked about AJ in the context of what it means for DAZN, or what he means for DAZN. But let's spend a minute here just looking at it from AJ's perspective. I mean, it goes back to that concept, especially in the UK. He was sold as just greatness, and he still could be great. Like all these guys, he's vulnerable, and, and now everybody knows that. I think the boxing hardcore audience has known that for a while. Uh, but let's see how he comes back. Like, a loss like this is a huge story, so it doesn't necessarily hurt him commercially if he comes back. The good news for most fans is it also means that we'll be seeing the big fights that we want to see sooner. Because there seemed to be no loss of appetite among the UK general public to watch AJ fight anyone at heavyweight. And he could have kept doing that. Uh, and, and he wasn't fighting bums either. I mean, this is the thing that people need to understand. Like, AJ still has by far the best resume at heavyweight. I mean, Fury has beaten Klitschko as well, not as definitively as AJ has. And Wilder and Fury have fought to a draw against each other, but AJ is the one who's fought most of the next tier down amongst heavyweights. And while he may not have the most extensive amateur background, like, which heavyweights do? Like, AJ is an Olympic gold medalist. I mean, if he comes back, this just all adds to his storyline. But he needs to beat Ruiz. And then he needs, at the worst case, to competitively lose to Fury and Wilder 
when they fight or obviously win those fights. Like, I don't like the David Price comparisons I've, I've seen, though. I mean, Price was a prospect. AJ was the second biggest commercial draw in the sport. I think the real question with AJ is, is what is his next move? He seems loyal to Hearn, and I've heard very conflicting reports on how many fights he has left, both on his DAZN deal and his Hearn deal. It seemed like they were all relatively short-term. Maybe there was one fight left on one of them. Maybe both of them. Maybe one of them's up. I don't know. What's his next move? If he stays loyal to Hearn, is he staying on his own, or is he now the time to go do pay-per-view in the United States? I mean, I don't think it is, but who knows? Does he sign with PBC or ESPN, top rank? be weird because he'd be leaving a lot of money on the table in the UK or at least perceptually you know the perception would be maybe he does but like he should have probably some kind of range with her in there I don't have any insight into what AJ will do but it, it you know so I, I don't want to keep recklessly speculating here but after a loss like this fighters have been prone to making changes and I'll and I'll, I'll leave it at that like I don't think he'll make any changes but I didn't think he would lose to Andy Ruiz if he stays with Hearn and, and he stays with DAZN, I mean, let's see how long he signs for. So let's now take a look at this for PBC. Because when you look at the other organization that is a clear winner here, that's the PBC. And and I guess to be clear, like we're talking, this is on both sides of it. Like when you talk about the PBC in some respects, you have to divide it into the management company that represents Andy Ruiz and then the content provider. And we'll, you know, they'll surely want Andy Ruiz fighting on Fox or Showtime very soon. But, you know, trust me, I mean, the we'll, we'll dive into this a little bit later, but the content wing, the content provider wing of the PBC has a path to be a huge winner here. I mean, I still don't know if you'd put it on the same level as like DAZN just establishing a foothold. And I think there's a good chance that a year from now we'll look back and look and say, Hey, this is where they did that. Um, you know, but, but the I mean, PPC can be a real big winner. I mean, the first thing I'd say is it feels like this rematch is going to DAZN, but I'm not, I'll just be honest here. I'm not sure that's contractual. I mean, the, the matchroom UK pay-per-view fights have not automatically gone to DAZN in the past. And I think, I want to be clear, like, I think the most likely path for this fight is that it ends up on DAZN. But we don't know yet, know that yet. I mean, I've heard conflicting, I, I shouldn't say conflicting. I've heard, I've heard reports that it is headed that way and that it's an extremely unlikely scenario where it could end up being on pay-per-view. But I've also just heard it's not automatic. Like, I'm not reporting this because it's rumors. It's stuff I've heard, and I've not gotten any definitive comment on. Um, but I don't, I don't, I guess my overall point is there is still a weird pathway where PBC could put this on pay-per-view in the United States. I don't think that's likely. I think if you're AJ and Hearn, you want this back in the UK, on UK pay-per-view, and then DAZN broadcasts it. But, you know, that's that doesn't seem to have been automatic. Um You know, Andy Ruiz is a PBC signing. And I mean, just going back to the PBC in general, the management side, like they're taking 
of the purses from their fighters. And I'm sure just the management wing of the PBC is really excited <laughs> with now having, you know, having Andy Ruiz under contract and taking 15% of his future purses. That is awesome for them. They will make a ton of money doing that. The content port provider portion of the PBC is probably over the moon about what it could have. Content provider PBC now has, you know, what you can only imagine will be a top five or top two commercial fighter in the world, given his heritage. Um, if he wins this rematch and, and content provider PBC, like, let's just be clear. Like they really need Andy Ruiz to win the, the rematch for this to truly pay off for them. You know, if he wins the rematch, PBC will have all of the belts at heavyweight. Uh, you know, obviously he, you know, if, if he wins the rematch, they will have every single one of them for a short period of time. Um, you know, Wilder Fury 2 would also need to happen um, unless, obviously, Wilder gets beat by Ortiz. But let's not even go down that road yet. Um, but, you know, PBC is looking at sort of a much different content landscape in 2020 than they are in 2019. And this could break in a way for them that's, like, absolutely amazing and put them in the driver's seat just for about everything. So, like... Going back to what I said, if Andy Ruiz beats AJ in the rematch, PBC will control three of the four major belts. And if Deontay Wilder beats Tyson Fury, they will control all of them. And no matter what, both PBC and Top Rank will benefit because, in my opinion, Wilder Fury 2 becomes an even bigger fight off of this. You know, I know Aram is, um, you know, Espinosa thought it would be a bigger fight. I know he said that publicly. Aram has now said it could do 2 million buys and, like, I don't know enough right now to say what it could or couldn't do in terms of buys, but trust me, there is a major bump that Wilder that the Wilder Fury rematch will likely get because of the added excitement just coming into the heavyweight division because of Andy Ruiz. I think just the overall attention that's been brought to it from the mainstream with casuals, general public, like they're going to be more interested in these fights. They're going to take more interest in the division. All these fights are going to be more commercially viable. And you basically have this tournament with two semifinals. And I mean, obviously, I don't think the winners would necessarily fight each other next. But you just you see a pathway towards a, a unified champion coming out. And then there just being so many more interesting fights, like right in a row. And you can't quantify that in terms of how exciting it can be to the general public. And I mean, this is something that in the pay-per-view business, I, I can tell you there's no quantifiable metrics for, but there was a prevalent belief at HBO when I was there that just having two potential opponents continually not fight each other but bring attention to the sport, that actually increases the pay-per-view bias for both parties. And you can just point directly to 2008 to sort of 2011 or 12. Mayweather and Pacquiao both benefited from having each other around, even though there was never actually an announced plan to fight each other. And their pay-per-view buys got bumped just because people were excited that there were two great fighters in the same weight class that were both commercial successes. And that's probably going to happen in the heavyweight division. There's just so much more attention on that division now. And there's American fighters like that matters tremendously. 
So PVC, going back to them, they're going to benefit more just from Wilder and Fury stepping in the ring again. Of course, that's assuming Wilder beats Ortiz. You know, but there's a pathway to them controlling all the belts and then being able to just put on a series of fights on pay-per-view with established guys at heavyweight. Like, that would be fantastic for them. And I mean, remember, there's another layer to that. Like, there's sort of more. Like, remember, like, one of the things I've been saying is that you're seeing a lot of these pay-per-views, especially that Fox is distributing, because I essentially think there's bonuses in the Fox deal that are dependent probably on pay-per-view sales. And so if we get back to a world where the heavyweights are regularly selling over a million pay-per-view buys for their fight, that helps out PBC and it, it helps out the general public a lot because it probably means for you hardcore fans, the general public will actually be funding a bit of a boon for you because you might, the, the first ripple effect from that might be that some of these smaller pay-per-view fights will now end up back on Showtime or Fox, not on pay-per-view. And I mean, look, I could be wrong on the bonus part of the PBC contract with Fox. I'm pretty sure I'm not. Um, but if I'm, if I'm not, if I'm right, then there's going to be a lot more money from Fox going to PBC because PBC will hit their bonuses and there'll probably be less pay-per-view dates required to trigger that bonus because what's essentially happening right now is pbc is having to grind out that number like that's why you're seeing so many fights that are in that three hundred thousand dollar paper you know three hundred thousand pay-per-view buy level and if you can just knock out a million buys in one fight you don't need to put on three fights that each do three you know 30 whatever pay-per-view buys and i genuinely think that pbc which is basically made its brand or, or, you know, basically started its brand by keeping things off pay-per-view really doesn't want these fights going to pay-per-view. And look, that's all hypothetical. I mean, you know, this could really though break in a way where PBC can control all of this and have a pay-per-view star built on another network in Ruiz with a, a huge fan base that previously didn't exist for the heavyweight division and then use that rising tide to sort of lift all boats, extend Wilder into a bigger star, and then just be more selective in terms of what actually goes on to pay-per-view. And then they can actually put better fights on the networks and make sure that Showtime and Fox get better ratings. And that puts them in an incredible position moving forward. You know, I've talked about ripple effects a lot on this podcast, especially in the last, you know, last year, but... You know, how one thing that happens on a high level in the sport can actually have ripple effects that you wouldn't imagine. I mean, there's a legit pathway here for PBC not only to control a glamour division, but improve all aspects of their business. And that really matters when you listen to, like, rumors that they're getting sold and that kind of stuff. I mean, it's crazy how an Andy Ruiz left hook to the temple puts all this in play. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. I think this is a very unlikely pathway, but it's fun to speculate on. It's a pretty unique series of events that would need to happen to that point, but it is possible. Like, there's a real pathway to this. And even with the PBC, let's look at some other scenarios. Like, let's say Ruiz loses the rematch. Even if both Ruiz and Wilder lose their rematches, 
I think you can still build them back up and have them fight each other on pay-per-view eventually. Like you can probably figure out through some kind of positioning to get one of the belts on the line by the time that happens. I mean, even in the worst case scenario, there's still ways for this to work out for them. If one guy wins and one guy loses, like they're still cooking with gas. Like you can sort of put Kalnowski on to be a B side to whoever wins. The loser can sort of get built back up. You can, you know, still build to Wilder and Ruiz. Like they have a lot of permutations, uh, you know, cause seriously, like let's, let's not leave out Ortiz. I mean, I, I think he's, not a great commercial option, but you know, like all of a sudden they went from, it sort of went from matchroom holding most of the relevant heavyweights to sort of now, you know, PBC, it has two or three or four extremely relevant, if not great heavyweights. Um, and on that note, let's talk about some of the other factors here. Like, let's let's talk about Wilder. Let's talk about Miller. Let's talk about Ortiz and Kaunaski. Although I think it, I, I am of Polish descent. Usually when it's spelled Kaunaki, it's pronounced Kaunaski. Um, but I actually think I talked to someone, and I think it is actually with Adam, I think it is actually pronounced Kaunaki. Um, but let's go through it person by person. I mean, how this fight affects each of these guys. Like, Let's start with Wilder. I mean, he may have very conflicted feelings about not taking the DAZN money. Um, but as I kind of laid out previously, I actually think there's pathways to that DAZN money coming back into play if they want it. And I think, like I said, this result elevates Wilder Fury too. It opens up a potentially, you know, lucrative future matchup with Ruiz. Um you know, this is my take. I don't feel that bad for Deontay Wilder unless he himself is a fraud. And I just don't think that's the case. I don't think he's a fraud. I think his skill level has slowly improved fight by fight. And it almost, I mean, it's important that's it, that it's improved, but it almost doesn't matter because he has generational power and he can win by KO in any of these fights. And like with all the other guys, he's vulnerable, but he has a title and he has plenty of opportunities for big money fights still. With whatever he lost on that DAZN or, you know, and I don't know how big the ESPN deal would have been specifically for him on the table, but it appears the DAZN deal was bigger. Whatever he lost there, he's gained something just based on that rising tie that we're seeing at heavyweight. And what exactly that is or how it works out, it has yet to be seen. And it may, he may end up regretting not taking the DAZN deal. But don't feel too bad for him yet. Don't feel too bad for him yet. He can still make a lot of money out of this. Miller, Jarrell Miller's got to feel terrible. I'm not sure Miller would have won the fight. Um, you and, and even on a side note, when you've heard of fighters getting knocked out and sparring, sometimes that really manifests itself. But other times you hear of guys getting knocked out and sparring and they're fine when they go into the ring. And then other times you hear about, especially in the early days of the UFC, you heard about guys getting knocked out and sparring and they'd come back in and like a light jab would just knock them out, you know? Um, Because I think the training methods there early on were just a lot less advanced than they are now and a lot less advanced than they were in boxing. But I I can't say for certain that Jarrell Miller would have beaten Anthony Joshua. And I've said this before, I'll say it again, Jarrell Miller is going to get other chances in boxing. 
And, you know, if this loss by Joshua gets the other top guys to fight each other more often and sooner, then it's even more likely that Miller's going to get an opportunity and get it sooner than you think. But he should be kicking himself right now, and he's obviously going to have to walk the straight and narrow path to even get that future opportunity, and he'll have to do it for far less money than he would have gotten for this, and then he'll quote-unquote deserve based on what everybody else is going to get because everybody else is probably going to make a lot of money. Um, Let's go to Ortiz, and look, Ortiz clearly had a pay-per-view fight against Wilder lined up. Probably not one that it was going to guarantee him seven million bucks. Maybe this improves his commercial, you know, the commercial viability of that fight a little bit. I think it probably does. Probably not as much as you know. I think Wilder Fury two it really improves. I think this one maybe not. Maybe I would need to get more information. Um, but maybe Ortiz is a little bit better than he would have done. Um, I hope Ortiz builds into his deal that he gets a high guarantee. And, you know, I hope, I hope he has other fights after that. I mean, he should feel a little bit bad because that could have been him with his power. And, you know, overall though, he's, he's got a shot and that's all you can ask for. Like he, he's got his big fight chance right now. And it's a fight that he knows he can probably win. He basically almost won the first fight. And I don't know exactly what the deal is with this rematch. I'm sure Wilder, if if Wilder loses to Ortiz, there's probably another rematch clause. So I'm sure Ortiz would have to beat him twice. But Ortiz still gets his chance, and that's all you can ask for. Uh, Kaunaki, I would not feel great if I was Kaunaki. I don't know what he's got lined up um, with all the announcements that we've heard for fighters in the division. But, like, it appears that he's the odd man out in terms of a big payday right now or a guaranteed payday or a big opportunity, whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't know what he's been promised behind closed doors. And all you can say in these instances is that he will be further down on the list. And if he is further down on the list, he just needs to keep winning. And if he does, you can say that, yes, like, based on just how this division is shaking out, he will likely get an opportunity, assuming he keeps winning. That opportunity will come. Um, But it's really hard to sit here and say that he shouldn't have taken the fight on short notice. Uh, I don't think he has quite the power that Ruiz has. Um, So I can't say that he would have won that fight, but, you know, you never know. I hope for his sake that he ends up getting that big time commercial fight, but like just with him, we're several chess moves away from seeing the light of the day for that. Uh, and then let's talk about one other fighter before we be, before we move on, and that's Alexander Usyk. Like, what does this mean for the guy that sat there in the Emperor Palpatine hood watching AJ fight Povetkin? with that knowing look on his face that he, I mean, you just watched him in that fight and he was like, this, I'm going to beat this guy. I'm going to beat AJ. And like, this is also a wild card. I mean, I think there are a lot of different paths. This, this could have headed down. Usyk could be the best heavyweight out there right now. I think certainly when you just look at pure skill level, Usyk and Fury are in a different category than, than the other fighters. 
um, just in, in terms of skill level. Now, now Fury doesn't have the power, and obviously, look, winning a fight isn't totally just based on skill, but Usyk could be the best, but he's going to face the biggest uphill battles in terms of commercial viability. Hardcores are going to love him. Uh, he's he's clearly not going to have the same American crossover potential as other foreigners like Fury or AJ. And some of that's just because he's not English-speaking. Um, Golovkin is basically the only fighter out of the, the Eastern European bloc to truly break out as a commercial success. I mean, obviously, and there's a lot of talented fighters, and there's talented fighters that are have drawn good TV audiences and that have become somewhat commercially viable, but Golovkin is the only one who could probably carry a pay-per-view or pay-per-view level fight at this point out of the Eastern Bloc. And you just got to think for Usyk, like, in a world where AJ would have won this fight or where AJ would have beaten Jarrell Miller and there would have been serious marination for Wilder and Fury and AJ to fight each other in that world, you really got to think Usyk could have been a big beneficiary. And now he's just sort of a big risk. And that's just because he was with Matchroom. He could have, you, you just figure AJ would have fought another guy or two that, that may not have been not just a name fighter, but a viable opponent. And eventually Usyk would have been the, the only top level opponent left for AJ to fight under the matchroom banner. So he, Usyk could have gotten a shot then. And now he's just sort of a big risk for these guys with relatively low upside. Um, but who knows if, if you are the best and you're in it for the long run, and it seems like he is, he, and he, I don't know that he, when I say that, I don't know that he is the best, um, but it seems like he's in it for the long run. Um, then he, he could end up as a big winner in all of this. I think he'll get, he will end up getting big fights though, just because of what this division is right now. Um, and then, and let's move on and just talk about boxing, amongst casual audiences. And this is something that I harp on a little bit and I probably should talk about it more. Like this is great. And especially, you know, I say this online on Twitter and stuff like that, like hardcore fans, like don't be so sensitive because Stephen A. Smith goes out there and says something that doesn't make sense to you. I mean, as boxing fans, it's just good for mainstream people to be interested in boxing. That part is good. Like, you want casuals to join you. This can't just be the hipster boxing club. There's not enough money in it to get the big fights made if that's all it is. We need other people in the general public to just appreciate the game and to come and watch the big fights. We need that. We need it to be a commercially viable sport, and for that, you need casual fans to come in. And this is great for that. This is great for that. All right. Let's move on to the preview section. We've got two weeks of fights coming up, uh, you know, and there's some stars fighting, and there's 
a few decent fights here, but it's nothing like the run that we've been on. Um, and, and nor should it, we, we have the month of May, the last week in, in April and the month of May and the first sort of weekend in June were, you know, is a tremendous run and you can't stay on that the whole time, but let's start Saturday, June 8th from MSG and on to zone. We have Gennady Golovkin making his return to the ring, fighting Steve Rolls at 164 pounds. Also on the card, Ali Akhmadov versus Marcus McDaniel at super middleweight, Brian Sabalo at uh, versus Bakhtier Yubioff at welterweight. Triple G, depending on where you look, 50, 80, 101 favorite over Rolls. You know, this fight is really just all about setting up that September date against uh, Canelo for Triple G. I think it's noteworthy that he's fighting, but this is a comeback fight. It is a setup fight. There is not much buzz around it, nor should there be. Um, this is really about DAZN putting Triple G through the process of getting a fight on their on their broadcast, getting footage on him, being able to have some highlights of him, getting him through the machine, so to speak, you know, so to speak, and um, and just setting up that subscription driving fight in September. Um, it is not circled on my calendar, this fight this weekend. But I'm happy to see him back in the ring. I love Triple G. Um, you know, eh, whatever. Also, on Saturday, June 8th, from Reno, Nevada, on ESPN, in actually the only title fight of the weekend, Oscar Valdez fights Jason Sanchez for Valdez's WBO featherweight title. Gabe Flores Jr. also on the card in an eight-rounder, and I think Andy Vences is going to be on that card as well. There's no odds out on this yet, but I expect Valdez to be a big favorite because while Jason Sanchez is 14-0, most of those wins have come against really low levels of competition. You know, For me, I think what makes this interesting is this is a TV ratings test to see if the work that ESPN has put into Valdez is starting to pay off and can he carry a show by himself. Um, so he's been part of some shows that have gotten pretty big audiences so far, but this is the first time that he'll sort of be carrying the whole thing. He'll be the A side of the main event without a, a noteworthy B side. Can he do it, you know, on his own? Previously, he'd always either had other high-profile fighters on the card or he had uh, an opponent who meant something. And, and, and you know, from that standpoint, we're going to find out if he can carry it on his name alone and and if he can't i don't actually think that's a big deal because i think he's a really talented fighter um if he can it's a great sign um but i think he will actually i think he will get to the point where he can soon um so this is just the first crack at it for him moving on to saturday june 15th we have a ton of boxing on espn plus let's start with the most important one from las vegas we have tyson fury taking on tom schwartz at heavyweight also on the card Sullivan Barrera fighting Jesse Hart at light heavyweight, and Michaela Meyer fighting Lizbeth Crespo at junior lightweight. Fury is as low as 25 to 1, but he's as high as 50 or 60 to 1 at, uh, at most sites. You can even find him higher. I think he's, you know, 80 to 1 at one of them. It's actually a pretty important card in the grand scheme of things for top rank and ESPN so far in 2019. We've seen some major inventory from top rank go to ESPN Plus rather than ESPN with Lomachenko and now Fury fighting there. And yes, these are both mismatches. And on the surface, it's you know it's the same type of fight as Triple G rolls. But I actually I just think this is more important because 
of the stakes in the heavyweight division now. There's going to be more interest on this fight. You've already seen, you know, pretty significant uh, Fury presence on ESPN in the buildup. I think you'll probably see more of him in the aftermath. Uh, and and that part matters because I think it's just relevant for him to be fighting in America on his, you know, headlining a card. And the undercard is actually a pretty good, you know, Barrera versus Hart is a pretty good light heavyweight fight. I couldn't find odds out on this at the time that we're recording. Uh, I'm sure there will be, when the odds come out, they will be relatively close, and it's a, and it's a good fight. Um, you know, and, and, and just going back to the heavyweight, like, given that there's likely going to be Ruiz AJ2 fight coming in the fall, like, and it sounds like Wilder Fury 2 is done. I mean, it just, it, it, it makes... All those fights now bigger, and that means that every fight in the buildup to those are bigger, and there's going to be more attention on them. Um, also on that day, on ESPN Plus, this time from Leeds, England, Josh Warrington is fighting Kid Galahad for the IBF featherweight title. There's a few other fights on the card, um, none of them that really matter that much. Warrington is a really from what I've seen, it, it, he has risen to the occasion. He is a really fun TV fighter, even though he doesn't have major power. And Warrington and Valdez fighting within a week of each other is important because, I mean, those are essentially the two top-ranked controlled featherweight belts in a division that also has Shakur Stevenson and Mick Conlon. And, and Gary Russell Jr. might possibly, maybe, could be a free agent if he's serious about what he's saying, um, if he can't get the Leo Santa Cruz fight. But it's been an interesting division for quite a while, and and a lot of these guys are fun to watch. So you'd think that they'd be building to some pretty big matchups in this weight class. Even when you look at the odds for this fight, Warrington, I think, is like a 3-1 to one favorite, maybe slightly less. Galahad definitely has a path to victory, but I think a lot of it just comes from the perception of who Warrington is as a fighter. I mean, he's been underestimated, quite frankly, in his last two fights and he's looked great in them. And and I'm really excited to see what this looks like for him. I do expect him to win. And, and, and I think he could make really fun fights. Stevenson has already called him out. I think he would make a great fight against Valdez. There's a lot to, to love about uh, what, what's going on there. Also on that day on ESPN+, Plus, Andrew Maloney and Jason Maloney are fighting Ruben Montoya and Cesar Ramirez, respectively, from Australia. And then... We'll move on to Saturday, June 15th from Latvia and on zone, the World Boxing Super Series semifinal matchups at Cruiserweight, where Maris Bredis is fighting Christoph Glowacki and Junior Dortikos is fighting Andrew Tabidi. Bredis is like a three to one favorite or in that range on both sites. It's sort of Cruiserweight part due. I mean, it's really been the least entertaining and anticipated so far of what we've seen from the World Boxing Super Series. But these should be good TV fights. Um, and, you know, especially Bredis Golaski or Golaki Golaski. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. And, and, and I'm freaking Polish. Polish Twitter, please don't come after me. We are brethren, I promise, or cousins or something. Um, so there's a couple good fights on the card. There's a couple, you know, obviously you got Triple G and Tyson Fury fighting, and especially after what Ruiz did to Anthony Joshua, more attention can you know can be put on these, and, and these are set up fights for bigger bigger fights come the fall. 
So there's stuff to be excited about. Look, it, it's been a crazy run, and it's been punctuated by one of the biggest fights for the sport of boxing over the last couple of years. This isn't just this wasn't just Canelo winning a big fight on Cinco de Mayo weekend or Mexican Independence Day weekend or Floyd Mayweather and some big pay-per-view draw that doesn't end up satisfying, you know, in, in terms of what happens, although maybe you can argue it was very satisfying for a lot of boxing fans for Floyd to knock out Conor McGregor. <laughs> but the, this, this was a major, major event. And I think it changed, it, it will change outcomes for how some of these entities do boxing. You know, you will see major, this has been an incredibly meaningful sort of three or four week stretch. And, and, and that fight was an incredibly meaningful fight. It's not just for Andy Ruiz, it's for all of the heavyweights. I think we are much closer as hardcore fans to see the fights that we want to see. And I think that's the key part. All these heavyweights, you know, my quote in the New York Times was how they were all vulnerable. I said that before the fight, and, and it's true. We all have known this. They, they're all vulnerable. And the pressure that was put on them to build up in commercial successes, we just now got another entry. It used to be a top three for who's who's a commer- you know the commercially viable guy, so to speak. We just got a fourth. That, that top three became four. And with Usyk, it could be even more. And so... This is incredibly exciting in a glamour division. There's, it, it's not going to get stale, and, and the big fights are much more likely to get made. I'm rambling. I have talked for almost an hour and ten minutes at this point. I'm going to stop talking. Um, but but it's been it's been really exciting, and and I'm I'm looking forward. You know, I'm looking forward to watching Triple G and Fury as always. I always do uh, with those guys. But I, I'm just. I'm very excited about what's going to happen over the next couple months, especially in the heavyweight division. All right. Bye, guys. Did you get what you was looking for?